Hey, Menlo family, I just wanna thank you for your generosity. Y'all are amazing. You brought so much stuff to our campuses to help with the fire relief. You brought bottled water, you brought tents, you brought all kinds, you brought gift cards. And because of your generosity, we were able to give, I think, the, and this is just a first gift of $20,000 to help with fire relief. So I just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, just wanna remind you that our annual meeting, it will be streaming live on YouTube at one o'clock today. And so I just wanna invite you over there. And then I need to introduce myself. My name is Cheryl and I started my job at Menlo Church on February 1st. Then, as you know, we went into shelter in place about five weeks later. So I still drive around with a GPS. I don't know where I am, uh, but I am glad to be with you. And how I got here, I'm really thankful that, that the way the Lord brought me here was so clearly from Him because it has been a really strange year, right? So I'm thankful. I was not looking for a job. Uh, Matt Stefan, who you heard from last weekend, sent me a, what felt like a random message. Matt had been a part of the church that I worked for in Los Angeles. And so he reached out, said, hey, Menlo has an opening. I think you'd be great for it. Jury's still out on that. So I get this message and I'm thinking, I've been at this church for 13 years. I have deep community. They have been so significant in my followership of Jesus. That church has grown me as a pastor. I have a little house in Pasadena, really close to Blue Heaven, Dodger Stadium. And uh, I wasn't looking for a job, <laughs> so I felt a little sick. I didn't reply to his message for about 24 hours, but I had did sense, and this is a long story and we'd have to grab coffee and have this conversation, but I did sense that God wanted me to be willing, uh, even at my age, at my stage, to go wherever he wanted me to go and do whatever he wanted me to do. And so, you know the end of the story, I'm here. And I count it a privilege and I really do trust that in all the craziness that God has something for me, he always does. And I'm gonna trust that maybe through me, he might have something for all of us together as we do this life together as Menlo Church. And so it's a privilege to lean into this series that we just started, We the Church. We the Church, Menlo Church. And Matt instructed us and encouraged us last weekend that the way that we wanna do life, We the Church, Menlo Church, is we wanna do life up. We wanna organize our life around Jesus. We wanna waddle after Jesus. I love that picture. And we also wanna be a community that does life out. That we aren't, as one philosopher said, we're not a people who are bent inward, but we live outwardly. We serve one another, we serve our community, we care about the world, and we care about the things that God cares about and we wanna live in, and that's what I wanna talk about today. We wanna to live in, and the scripture, it's interesting, what does it mean to live in? What is, what, what is that dimension? And when you look at the Bible, it only uses the word Christian, I think once, twice, but the language of the New Testament that Paul likes to use when he's describing we, the church, is in Christ that we live in Christ. And then the Bible also 
doesn't give us any room to do this life alone. That we, the church, do life together in community. And as I was praying about this and praying about this message, this verse kept coming back to me. It was a verse that I memorized when I first became a Christian. I'll date myself, little navigator scripture memory card that I had. And that verse, it was in Hebrews chapter 10, and it says, don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but keep meeting together, keep encouraging each other, even more as we see, see the day approaching. And so that verse kept coming to my mind and I thought, God, I, need to, I need to look at that. Is there a message for us in God's word as we think about living in community? And so I opened my Bible and I started to study it. And that's what I want us to do together today is I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible on your phone, maybe you're old school and you got it in a book, uh, we will put it up here on the screen. Uh, grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me pray and we'll dive in to the scripture. Father, we do, we just ask I feel like I've been praying this prayer to you so much lately, God. Would your voice be louder than any other voice in my life? Would your voice be louder than all the voices that we're hearing in our culture, social media, even in the church? God, we want your voice to be the loudest voice. And so as we open your word today, would it come alive to us? Would you speak to us? Would your son Jesus become more real to us? And I pray it in his name, in the name of Jesus, amen. So we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, it says this, it says, therefore, and then I pause. Because when you study the Bible and you see the word therefore, you always gotta ask, what's it there for? <laughs> and what it's there for is it's pointing us back to what the author had been talking about. It's telling us something. He's saying, hey, I've been saying all these things, therefore, I want you to now know or think or do this thing. And so if we are to look back, and I wish we had time to go all the way from Hebrews 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way up to Hebrews 10. Uh, we don't have time for that, so I'll summarize it for you. What the author of Hebrews is doing is he's telling us what Christ has accomplished, why Jesus matters. And he's addressing this question that I think is a question we all kind of have, is how do I have access to God? If there is a God, and you would hope if there's a God, he's holy and he's righteous and he's just and he's love, but how do I have access to him? And there's some people who would say they're not even sure that God would let them have access. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me over the years, Cheryl, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. And this is what the author of Hebrews, there's so much more in this book, but one of the things that he wants us to know is 
that we can have access to God, that we can approach Him. But again, sometimes we have some wacky thinking on that. I think some people tilt towards uh, what was put before us in the TV show, The Good Place. Uh, we can debate this, but I love that show. I haven't seen the final season, so don't tell me anything about it. Uh, but in The Good Place, The Good Place suggests that um, if you're gonna get to the good place, right? If you're gonna get to heaven, if you will, uh, you have, there's a point system. And so if you do good things, you get a lot of points for that. And if you do bad things, you get negative points. And so if you don't have enough points, you don't get into the good place. You don't get into the presence of God. You don't have access to God. And I think some people approach it that way. And we think of it that way. I think maybe more often now, people tilt a different direction and where the feeling is, well, if there is a God and he's holy and he's righteous and he's just, surely he's loving enough to ignore my bad things, right? He's loving enough to ignore the bad things I do or the bad thoughts I've had or the selfishness that is in me. And so in the end, I'll probably be okay. But what the author of Hebrews wants us to know is that the message of the Bible, the good news of Jesus is such good news. It's better than a God who ignores our bad stuff. And it's better than a God who keeps score. We don't have to live under the fear of guilt and shame. We also don't have to reduce God and reduce his holiness or his perfection because Jesus has taken care of all of this for us. It starts in Hebrews chapter one and it goes all the way through. God's holiness and his perfection actually demonstrate that his love is so much deeper, so much wider, so much more profound than we could ever imagine. And so the hope that we have, and we've been talking about this as we, the church, Menlo Church, the hope that we have and the hope, the way that the word hope is used in the book of Hebrews is not a, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I can get into the presence of God. I hope I can have access to God. Actually, the way that the word hope is used in the book of Hebrews is that our hope is in a person and his name is Jesus and our hope is in what he has accomplished. Not what I've done, not what you've done, but in Jesus. And that's what we're gonna see here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'll keep, I'll keep going. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, since we have confidence, verse 19 tells us, to enter into the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus's death that has given us access to God. It's Jesus's death that has allowed us access into the most holy place. And the readers of Hebrews, when they heard, read that, um, they would have had a picture. They would have had a picture of the temple, the place where God's presence resided, and this most holy place was a actual place, and between the most holy place, there was this 
big, thick curtain that separated that holy place from the priests. And only once a year could that high priest go into that holy place because this curtain stood between. Jesus makes a way into that place, into the very presence of God, not just for eternity, not just out there, but for today that I can experience the presence of God every moment, every day, not by a point system, not reducing God's righteousness, but through Jesus. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, verse 20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. You see, Jesus's body here is being referred to metaphorically, but in his death, he removed the curtain literally. If you go to Mark chapter 15, it's one of the biographies in the very beginning of the New Testament, the biographies of Jesus. It says this in Mark 15. It says when Jesus was hanging on the cross and Jesus was dying, it says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At the death of Christ, God, not me, not you, God tore the curtain from top to bottom. And that's why Hebrews 10 goes on in verse 21 and says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near to God. Let us move into that in Christ life. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus does the work. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. God has promised to make a way for me to be in his presence. He's made a promise to make a way for you to experience his presence. So let us draw near to God so we can draw near to one another. And that's what I wanna talk about really is that we, in the order of Hebrews chapter 10, we draw near to God, and in our drawing near to Him, we now draw near to one another. And I would suggest, and we're gonna talk more about this, that we need to draw near to one another so we can draw near to, to God, and we need to draw near to God so that we can draw near to one another. And it's this circle, and it's this relationship. You see, because of what Jesus has accomplished for me, I can now extend that to you. Because Jesus has forgiven me in ways that feel sometimes unfathomable, I can forgive you. I can move toward you 
You see, because Jesus has set me free from my guilt and my shame, I can set you free from your guilt, from your shame. I can extend that kind of grace to you. I can stop keeping score. I can stop keeping record of your wrongs against me. No more point system. You see, Jesus has made a way for us as a community, in community together, He's made a way for us to live in our true identity as children of God. He's made a way. He's made a way for us to understand our purpose in Him. And so because of that, I can, I can let go of thinking I know what your purpose is. I can let go of thinking I'm gonna tell you what your identity is. And I can set you free for all that God has for you, right? In every family, to let go of that sense that I need to control what my kids grow up to do. That I need to control what I think you need to do or how you need to be towards me. There's this place, probably one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. John chapter 15, it quotes Jesus saying, he says, just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That blows my mind. That the way that God the Father loved God the Son, Jesus, Jesus loves me that way. Unconditionally, fully, completely, without measure. And so now I wanna love that way. Certainly don't do it perfectly. But having drawn near to God, it changes how I wanna draw near to you. It changes how I wanna love my enemies. It changes how we love. We draw near to God. We live in Christ so that we can live in community as the church. We the church. When I commune with Jesus, I can commune with you in a whole different way. Verse 24, before I start, keep rambling on. Verse 24 says this, so let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. See, that's that verse, that verse that was going over in my mind. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we don't know exactly what was maybe keeping the Hebrews, uh, the, the recipients of this book of Hebrews from wanting to meet together, but there's some clues that are given in the, the following chapters of the book. And what they suggest is that, well, there was persecution going on, and this was real. People were actually giving their life, and this is happening all around the world even today, when there's people who, for their faith in Jesus, the persecution is literally their life. Well, there were those who were being persecuted, but the author of Hebrews also suggests that some were wanting to maybe not meet together just out of apathy, out of indifference. And I think some of us can relate to that, right? We're just tired. 
We're tired of doing this gathering thing through a screen. We're weary and Zoom fatigue is real, right? And that's where they were, this group of Christians, this early church. And they were being encouraged, don't stop meeting together. Don't give up. And I kind of feel like, I feel like I just keep hearing that, the cry of scripture, the whisper of the spirit that wants to say, don't stop, Cheryl. I'm a pastor and I don't want to meet together sometimes. I'm tired. But even if it's through a screen, I want to keep showing up. Even if it's one more Zoom group, I want to keep showing up. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, scripture knows nothing of a solitary Christian. People of faith are always members of a community. God never works with individuals in isolation, but always with people in community. Don't stop meeting together. Right, I just, don't stop meeting together. Commune with Jesus so you can commune with one another. Commune with one another so that you can commune with Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany during World War II, ultimately died uh, in prison. He wrote a little book called Life Together, and he said this, he said, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him or her. The Christian needs another Christian who will remind them of God, who will speak God's word to them. Bonhoeffer goes on, he said, he needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain, when he becomes discouraged, for by himself, the Christian cannot help himself. Don't stop meeting together. Commune with Jesus to commune with others, commune with others to help you commune with Jesus. So this is how we do it at Menlo Church. We the church, Menlo Church. This is how we do it. We gather here, we gather on the weekend, even through a screen, to remind ourselves that there is a God and he's good and he sees us and he's for us. And when we do it in what we call life groups and most of them are on Zoom right now. And these life groups, they meet together to take that word of God and life with God and make it real. This is what I love about life groups, is that I need to gather, I need to gather this way, I need to hear worship, I need truth sung over me and to me, I need to hear teaching from the scripture. And then I need to gather with a little group of people. Again, that's what we call a life group. And I need to work it out together. I can remember, uh, and you know, here at Menlo, we've had opportunity this summer, we've heard great teaching on racial justice and God's uh, heart of mercy and love, right? But it's in a life group where then I have to kind of wrestle that all out. What does that mean for me? And I'll never forget, a number of years ago, I was in a life group in Los Angeles and um, Ferguson happened. And 
in that group, we pushed pause, and there were a couple women in the group who were African-American. And I just said to them, I said, hey, at Life Group next week, would you share your stories? And I will never forget those two women sharing with us what it was like to be black in America. Both of them are moms of boys, and to hear them talk about what it's like to raise boys, black boys in America, in the midst of all of this and what they were feeling and their own angst and for us to get out around those women and pray for them. That happens in a life group. That's why we need life groups. You know, we can hear a sermon about doubts and skepticism and how do we, should we believe the Bible and all those things, but it's in a life group that I get to share that with some friends and say, I do have doubts. I don't know about this. Why do I believe this? Why do you believe that, right? It's in a life group where we begin to work these things out. When John resigned, my life group, I have a little Zoom life group, uh, we had taken a break for the summer, but when John resigned, I just reached out to that group and I said, hey, do y'all wanna get together on Zoom? Yes, another Zoom call. <laughs> do y'all wanna gather, just create a space to talk about how we're feeling, what you're feeling? And in that space, what we did was, there was that little Zoom circle, if you will, and everyone shared. And I said, hey, we're not gonna fix each other. We're not gonna tell each other how we think the other person should feel or whatever, but we're just gonna create a space in this life group, this Zoom life group, for you to say what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And around that little Zoom circle, <laughs> they started to do that. And there were all kinds of feelings. There was anger, there was sadness, there were questions that people wanted answered and, and all those things. And we just went around and we just did that. And then one woman, and I will be forever indebted to this woman, she said, you know what I'm feeling? I'm feeling really mad and I'm really angry at, and she named a person. And then she said, so I'm asking God to help me see how he sees that person because I wanna love that person the way God loves that person. <sighs> Mic drop. I needed, I needed that life group and I needed that person in that life group to say that because suddenly it changed how I thought about how I was feeling, how I was thinking. We can you can sit here and listen to me preach a sermon on community. But really what we need to do is we need to experience community, right? There was a guy in a life group at one of our Menlo campuses who in March had a condition that he had to go into the hospital. That's a scary time last March to go into the hospital, right? And so his life group said, you know, we're gonna pray for you every day, we're committing to that. But then the men in that life group committed to text him every day. And I love this. So they were texting him every day. And when he came out of the hospital, he said uh, to the group, he said, you know, I've, I've always felt encouraged when people say they're praying for me and I've had people pray for me, but this was different. Something happened in the hospital. I knew you were praying for me and I was getting your texts every day 
And I think in the hospital, I experienced the presence of God because of my life group, because of my community, right? Don't stop meeting together. Don't stop meeting together. I'm saying it for myself, friends, because there's so much I want to give up. I'm tired, I'm weary. And I'm saying it to you. Don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Commune with Jesus so that you can commune with one another. Commune with one another so that you can commune with Jesus. We need life groups. Life groups are the place that we, the church, Menlo Church, where we help one another find and follow Jesus. We need life groups because we're forgetful people. I need a life group to remind me that God sees me, that he's for me, that he's good. We need life groups because we're needy people. And we need that community to send us texts every day. And we need that community who will bring us meals. And we need that community who will pray for us. We need life groups because we're broken people. We're imperfect people. And I want Jesus formed in me. I want Jesus to bring me to a place from my brokenness to my wholeness that only happens in him. And that happens in a life group. My community helps me to be formed into the image of Christ. So here's, here's what I wanna do. We the church, Menlo Church, here's what I want us to do. This week and the next week. This week, uh, we're gonna commune with Jesus. So maybe if you're in a life group, you say to the life group, hey, let's take the week off. Maybe you'll still text each other and you'll do that kind of thing. But we're gonna provide for you a seven-day devotional, just a prayer guide. It's actually gonna go through Hebrews, which I think is kind of fun. And uh, we're gonna provide for you a devotional guide for you to commune with Jesus very intentionally. I know a lot of you do this anyway, but um, very intentionally, you're gonna commune with Jesus for seven days. And then next week, we're gonna start communing again with one another. We're gonna lean back in to community, even if it's through a screen, even if we're tired, we're gonna lean back into that life group. And if you don't have a life group, you're gonna find one, right? We're gonna give you opportunity. We've got a ton of life groups all out there. Yes, they're on Zoom. Yes, there's all that. But we're gonna give you opportunity. And if, and please say yes, if you would be interested in leading a life group, we need life group leaders. We need people who say, yeah, you know what? I wanna join in the mission of Jesus. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, yeah, I wanna be a part of that. Well, we wanna help you be a part of that. And so we'll give you an opportunity to uh, step into leadership and lead a life group. But before you go, and I know you're, 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 you're anxious to go download that study guide that we're gonna make available and little prompts on the screen and all that stuff. I wanna just pause and I want us to begin these seven days. We're gonna start tomorrow, but begin now by communing with Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray for us and then 
we're gonna sing a song or we're gonna let the worship folks just sing it over us. But we're gonna begin that communion with Christ. Lord, I pray that. Uh, Father, I pray. Would we, the church, Menlo Church, would we be so desperate for you that we would be willing to keep leaning in, not stop meeting together, but keep meeting together, keep meeting together. And Lord, we ask you, we need your help. We need your help. And so we're just asking for that today. Lord, we give you this song. We sing these words to you. Your name, Jesus, is beautiful. Your name is beautiful, Lord. We want to say that to you. We want to commune with you so that we could commune with one another in a whole new and deeper way. And we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.